or good afternoon, Waltham. I'm Jane, I'm a Covenant member here at The Well. Um, I attend with my husband, David, and our sweet six-month boy, Ezra. I'm a part of the Nomad CG, and not so nomadic today, and I serve on the Connections team. Today I'll be reading from Judges 6, 25 to 35. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerobel, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent out messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went out to meet him, meet them. This is the word of the Lord. All right. <clears throat> Instruments of God, how are we? Good, good. Good to be here with you all. Uh, man, I like just wept like a baby again this week. We have like, y'all are beautiful, man. Just really grateful for this church. You're welcome, whoever said thank you. Um, all right, we ready? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to recompose myself. We uh, survive winter storm 2022. All right, winter storm landing with your weak tail. All right, I ain't going to mention how we listed our house on the day that all the roads froze and how I'm a little bit salty about that, if you know what I'm saying. But it's all right. By the way, don't worry. We're only moving like three or four minutes away from where we live right now. That wasn't a passive way of me saying I'm leaving the church or something. All right. Uh, unless we did not hear God correctly, I think that he has called Natalie and I here for the next 50 years, so you stuck with me, all right? Uh, Gideon, we ready? All right, my boy Gideon starting to walk in his calling this week, uh, and I hope that it is an encouragement for us. As a really quick reminder, we're talking about pushing back darkness, uh, looking at this beautifully broken hero, and trying to glean, hey, what does God have for our lives in the midst of this? Last week, we majored on pushing back darkness inside of us, and really saying, before we can fight darkness out there, we have to fight darkness that is in here, for this is what often shipwrecks our our faith and causes even more darkness to abound. 
We really saw, though, that in the midst of brokenness, God was beginning to call Gideon to to walk in his calling. And so despite Gideon's lowly state, God had a mission for Gideon and was promising to be with him. And really where judgment should occur, we see Christ step into the picture and commission instead. And the same is true with our lives. We have been commissioned. God is with us, and we can live our lives for him. We can be a part of pushing back darkness in this world. And so week two, let's chop it up. As Jane already read for us, we see God once again creating a different type of reform than what we would naturally expect. When we think about pushing back darkness, we kind of get this grandiose idea, and I believe that part of that is godly. We should have a big vision and a big picture, but God often wants to do smaller work before he does the bigger work because the small actually creates even greater ripple effects over the long run at times. Let's look at the text again. It starts off and it says, that night, God ain't wasting no time, my G, right? Like God's like, you're a mighty man. And Gideon's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, no, yeah, you are, and I'm with you. Now, in 15 minutes, I want you to go do something terrifying, all right? Like the exact same time that he called him. And that's a really important point for us as well because often I believe that we're waiting to be fully trained and ready to go before we hop on mission with God. God often calls us into his mission, though, and trains us along the way as we're obedient to what he's calling us to do. Sometimes we're waiting to be fully equipped, but God is waiting to equip us until we're fully obedient. If there's something that God is calling you to do, do it, family. Step into that. Don't wait. It may be this night. Like tonight, that you hear the voice of God and you immediately respond to that. It might not be the grandiose plan that God has for your life, as we still have some story with Gideon even next week. But often he's telling you to do something to prepare for that very plan that he has for you. I think about even my story. When I first got to college, I felt like God was calling me to do all this evangelism on campus. And I have to admit, I do not have the gift of evangelism. I will share the gospel with somebody 718 times, and then somebody else will come and be like, hey, what's up, brother? And they will get saved. And I always get frustrated at that, like, yo, I did all this work, right? But I just don't have that gift, but I felt like God was calling me to do that. Lo and behold, 15 years later, he also calls me to plant a church where my main work would be evangelism. Or I think about discipleship. There was at one point that I was actually discipling more people in our college ministry than anybody on our staff team was because I kept feeling like God was commanding me to do this, even at the expense of certain things, and lo and behold, He would move me into full-time ministry where I have to train up church planters and elders and things like that. I think about serving in children's ministry in my college church. And if you have been at the well for any length of time, you know that one area of sanctification that your boy needs is with children. I am not like Christ there. Christ wanted the children to come. I want the children to go and not on mission, okay? And so I feel like God was sanctifying me because lo and behold, when we plant a church, not a single person had ever even served in children's ministry, and I needed to know some of the things to do there. 
I remember when God was calling me into high school ministry here in Austin, and I know that we have some of my former students that are now adults and married and got kids, and you're at the well, and I love that, but little known secret, I have a really hard time with high school students. I acted like I loved y'all, and I didn't. I'm sorry, okay? And so I went into small group ministry, but I felt like God was preparing me in the midst of all that. And I think about preaching or support raising and all of this culminated to church planning, but none of it could I see in the midst of when I was doing that, what God's grandiose or final plan was. And that's just my vocational journey. I think about the things that he's called me to do with my brothers that have translated into me loving my daughters better, and I could go on and on with the list. In other words, listen to what the Spirit of God is telling you to do. Or be faithful in the season that God has put you in. Your faithfulness in this season may produce fruit in the calling that he has in your life in the next season. Or maybe even just do something, right? Like it is important. Even if it's not the main story that he's writing in your life, he may be preparing you for that story. That night, Gideon begins to walk in obedience. Now notice it says that Gideon is to take the second bull, the emphasized there, or the. Either this is the only other bull that his father had, or more likely, it was a bull that was being prepared to be sacrificed to Baal. It was a special bull, if you will, one that was set aside for sacrifice. And that's probably the reality because we see this bull is seven years old. Seven is the number of completion or perfection. So this was the bull that its whole life had been born to be prepared, to be offered to this false god. Baal, even at times in that culture, actually represented a bull, and oftentimes he would require bulls to be sacrificed to him. Now notice that Israel was oppressed for seven years. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, and this bull is seven years old, ready to be offered to Baal. Often, our oppression comes from lingering sin in our life, family. Different sermon for a different day. But be killing sin or sin will be killing you, even if you don't see the correlation of it. You see, seven years had went by. It was probably really hard for them to trace back where they began to detour, and yet it was all of this buildup that was creating this oppression. You cannot serve to gods. And so God calls Gideon to rip them mugs down. Because you cannot serve God and money, as Jesus would say, or you cannot serve the true God and a false God, or you cannot serve God and yourself. And so God calls Gideon to sacrifice the precious bull that was meant for another God on the altar of another God. The, the stronghold is what it says there. And this is just gangster, y'all. Like, can we keep it a buck, right? It's like, take they stuff and give it to me, is what God said. Knuck if you buck, right? <laughs> Boy, right? Listen. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, what is that? <laughs> I will teach you the word and hip-hop culture. <laughs> Listen, God cannot be worshipped alongside of other things, family. 
He cannot be worshipped along another god. And so the point becomes clear that before God delivers them from their enemies, he has to deliver them from themselves. This is true personally, like we talked about last week, but it's also true corporately as well, or within Gideon's family units. Gideon just built a personal altar last week. Now God is calling him to build a corporate altar this week. And so what is the point of this for us? Well, it started personal last week. Where is God calling you to push back darkness in your own personal life? But then it moves to our family this week. Where is God calling you to push back darkness in your family? Often we kind of look for the final calling of God, the, the grand things, the, the what am I on here, here on earth to do type of thing. But God prepares us for ministry with the people that are right around us. And that's often our family or our communities. Part of how we change the world, part of how we push back darkness is that we're faithful in our families and we push it back there. This is often the training ground for other things that God may be calling us to. You can think about this all throughout scripture. We see this as part of God's pattern. You think about Abraham, who had the test with Lot, his nephew, or, or Sarah, his wife, or, or Hagar, his maidservant, or, or Isaac, his son, God preparing him all along the way within his family. Or you think about Moses with Zephorah or, 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 uh, uh, or Aaron or, or even his kind of pseudo godfather, stepfather, father-in-law in Egypt, Pharaoh himself. You see Ruth with uh, her mother-in-law or Esther with her uncle or David with his brothers and him being the least and overcoming that and then his sons and, and overcoming this. You see this all throughout scripture. And so my question is, how is God calling you to push back darkness in your family? What does this look like in your life? In your spiritual, in your biblical families, in here amongst us, yes and amen, but even more likely, maybe your biological families, God's simple call there may lead to a greater call in the future. Additionally, notice that God doesn't just ask Gideon to tear down this idol. He tells Gideon to then build an altar in its place. You following with that? God doesn't just want to remove things from your life or the life of others. He wants to fill in the emptiness as well. Think about it if you're in a house and you're removing all of the old stuff out the house or, or maybe you're clothed and you're taking off all the old filthy clothing. Well, if you just remove and remove and remove but never put back on, you end up cold and naked or with an empty house. And so God does not just want us to remove the sin in our life, but he wants to fill it with himself as well. Not just take off the filthy clothing, but put on Christ to wear him as well. And so Gideon, he starts to do this. He, he does what the Lord told him to do. But, it says there, right, whenever there's a, ah, 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 but God, okay, it's usually really good. It's like, but God being rich in mercy. Whenever there's a but before man, it's usually really ratchet. But these cats was tripping, is what it normally says. That's from the EBT, by the way. That's the Abonics Bible translation. <laughs> the EBT, I didn't mean that. What does it say here? It says, but Gideon was scared. 
Now, there's indictment and there's beauty in this passage. And, and leave that up on the screen, if you will, for me, okay? Because the indictment is clear. He didn't really trust God here. Fear is cowering Gideon from doing what God fully called him to do. And we can relate with this man, can we not? Like, we know that we're supposed to share the gospel, but fear of the person's response stops us from sharing the gospel. We are like Gideon, afraid, so we try to do it in the nights. Or in my own life, I know that it is harder for me to speak truth to a person in a one-on-one setting. You see, I can speak love really well. It's very easy. But truth, it's like I see it. I know what I should say, what I'm supposed to do. But I try to beat around the bush 117 times, hoping that they get it. And then, because I don't speak truth, when it gets out of hand and I finally do speak truth, it feels like I'm bringing a hammer. And so now not only can they not hear truth, but they also do not receive my love. It's called being a people pleaser, fear of man. And it cripples even my own relationships. You see, fear often cripples our hearts from doing what we know is right. And if we allow it to cripple us to the point of inaction, then we do not see darkness push back. Contrarily, we see darkness begin to encroach in our lives. Did you hear that? When we don't do what we know is right, darkness encroaches instead. Simultaneously, though, even though Gideon didn't really fully do what God told him to do, he was, he was scared in the midst of this, but he did do it, right? And a little bit of faith is better than no faith at all. With God, the mustard seeds of faith that we give produces forests of righteousness, family. God takes this little seed and allows it to abound. And so that's why he's the beautifully broken hero, Even in this verse, we see brokenness and yet beauty all at the same time. And in our own lives, we're not the rock star, always perfect heroes. It is hard for us to do what God is calling us to do at times. But when we offer what little faith that we have, then he tends to multiply this into generations of righteousness for God's sake. Note here Even though Gideon is the main character, it says that there are 10 people that were there with him. In other words, this is done in the context of community. Accomplishing the mission of God is always done in the context of community. There ain't no privates in God's army. There ain't no lone rangers. We do this together. And so he rips them mugs down, right? Does the the semi-bold thing here. Susan Naditch, who is a biblical commentator, she calls this the daring call from God. Not daring like God is telling him like truth or dare sort of thing, but rather the bold or the almost scary act of God. And often when God calls us to do something for his name, just straight up, y'all, it is going to be scary. It's going to be hard to do that thing. God is likely calling you to do some things that stretch your comfort. Do them, family of God. For when you stretch your comfort, you also stretch your faith, and you are often met with the thrill and the joy of the Lord. You see Christ moving in ways that you never even thought possible because you're stepping out and allowing him to showcase his power and his beauty and his goodness Now, it's not easy, 
right? It's not like Gideon has all of this courage. He's doing it at night, and he was scared, and it wasn't like the next day he was like, I'm so glad that I served God because now everybody wants to kill me. Hallelujah. He's a real person, right? The entire town was after this man, but... When we give our life to God, it offers us greater life than holding on to it ever could. And so we see Gideon trying to turn his family to the Lord. If you remember from last week, Gideon met Jesus under the oak tree or the terebinth, the the sacred tree. And that's contrasted this week with the Asherah, which was made out of a tree. Or we see the altar that Gideon built last week. It's contrasted with the altar that his dad is building to Baal. Or the bull that his dad is trying to sacrifice is contrasted with the goat that Gideon sacrificed to Jesus. God is calling for total reform in Gideon's family. And so Gideon does it. And then it says the people are ticked. Right? And they try to find out who it was. And they found out that it was Gideon. Because verse 17, though community is awesome, he also told 10 dudes. And a secret told to 10 men is no secret at all. That's a word for somebody today. (laughs) And so then they're like, let us killeth this sucker, right? The people of the town, they were shocked. Why? Because they found their place of worship desecrated. And the same is true with us when we try to ruin the world's comforts, y'all. When we expose the world's false gods as non-gods, there could be anger that comes out of that. When we're serving the Lord, we we will likely be inquired by the people of the town at times for tearing down their idols. Nah, y'all ain't with me. You ain't never felt no persecution, right? The discomfort of proclaiming that you're a believer in the midst of a continued secularized world. And and at times you even hold back what you know is true because you fear the response of the people. But at times when we serve God, there is going to be hostility from the townsfolk for ruining their idols. We're highlighting that their gods are not gods at all. And that they cannot serve them. And sometimes, y'all, it be your own family. As it was here, right? And once again, think about my own calling. I graduated college and got offered a job for $80,000, which in Austin, Texas doesn't sound like a lot, but when I graduated in the Midwest, that's some Skrilla, y'all. And so I got offered 80 k and instead I accepted a job down here in ministry for $20,000. Now, 20000 is really low. I ain't going to lie. They might owe me some reparations in this mug, all right? <laughs> Another story for another time. But I kind of gave up all of that. And literally, my family started calling me like crazy. They were like, what is wrong with you? And they started saying, I'm not sure if this is God's will for your life. Like, I think God's will might be to, to make this so that you can take care of your family. And they started to try to blend these things together. I think about Yusuf, our college director, If you know him, you know his story, that he was a Muslim, and then he came to faith in Christ. And then he tried to hide that for a while, but through the encouragement of some mentors in his life, God kind of forced it out to tell his family, and his family had some hostility to that, just like God kind of is forcing it out of Gideon here, because God wants his name worshipped in public, not honored in secret. At times, it's our own family 
that has the hostility as we push back darkness around us. Now, we don't intentionally go looking for disunity, but at times following Christ might cause some stir. And we must be willing to stir the pot if we're to see the finished meal of the gospel transform lives. So God calls Gideon to destroy the altars of Baal and Asherah, denouncing his father's religion, because it's his altars, this is in verse 25, and his societies, you could tell by their response. The trick is, though, that they likely thought that who or what they were worshiping was indeed God the Father. These people probably thought that they were worshiping Yahweh to an extent, You can see this by the way the dad kind of stands up for his son, but not fully here. This is called syncretism. When you try to blend different religions together to make everything work how you want it to work. I want you to leave that word up there for a little bit, because I think this is important for us in our context. This is what was wrong with Israel. It was what was wrong with Gideon's family lineage, and it's what God wanted to overcome And oftentimes with various sins in our own lives or in our family's lives, we tolerate it without even realizing how it could impact us. You see, his father is completely desensitized to what's happening. And Gideon also doesn't have a fully formed picture of God, which we saw even last week. He did not know that God was merciful or gracious or didn't think that God could even act. And we are likely coming, you and I, from a family lineage or we're creating family worship structures right now with some Baals and some Asherah mixed in syncretism. We think about our salaries or our 401ks. And oftentimes we will go and we'll chase after the the high-paying salary moving across the country, not even knowing if there's a place of worship there, even though spiritually we're better off than we have ever been in our entire lives. We will chase after that and think about spirituality as like the third or fourth thing, syncretism. Blending what the world says is good with what God might be calling us to or Christianity and politics. And so we take our wokeness and we find some of the passages in Scripture that says, no, 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 God cares about justice, and you're right, he does, but we begin to blend all these things together, or we take our our Trumpism and we begin to try to blend it together as if that's part of God, and these two things are very different. That's the kingdom of this world. This is the kingdom of God, syncretism trying to blend things together to make something that we're comfortable with in our religion, or consumerism, where we begin to consume everything around us, even the Christian faith, so that if there's something that we don't like, we just ditch it for the next one because we're not here to serve others. We're here to have them serve me. Syncretism. It's not the gospel or cultural Christianity without a sacrifice for the gospel. Syncretism. All of these, and many more, they mess with our walks with Christ, y'all. And God wants to remove the things that we've incorrectly married to the gospel. Or maybe even for some of us in our family, there was blatant sins that are impacting our walk with Christ right now. It wasn't this kind of syncretism that was kind of in and out of our family. Maybe it was blatant, right? Maybe you came from abuse like I did, 
or you came from alcoholism or workaholism that left no actual time or care or intimacy with your family. God wants to redeem those things as well. And so we can insinuate here that uh, the dad, the way he's kind of willing to risk Gideon's life in, in, in effort to be liked by the townspeople, Gideon probably wasn't really cared for that well, y'all. Maybe that's why he doesn't believe he's a mighty man of valor. Because maybe he's had none of that input into his life. And God wanted to call those things out of him and heal him. God wanted to become a father for him. And God wants to become a father for you. And this comes when we rightly place our faith and our trust in Christ. But then God begins to take Gideon as he heals him, but also wants him to push back the darkness in his family as well, to reveal the idols that are there, that the true God might be worshipped. And what might God be calling you to do, family, in your families, to push back some of the darkness that the light of Christ might shine in your communities? Michael Wilcox, who is a scholar and a biblical commentator, he said this about this passage, specifically thinking about the sins of the culture around us and how it bleeds into our worship without us even realizing. He says, if sin is modest, like security and comfort and reasonable enjoyment, if ambitious, it's probably power and wealth or unbridled self-indulgence, you see, in every age, there are programs, economic theories, philosophical movements, entertainment industries, all have one feature in common. They are big enough to do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves, yet at the same time, amenable to our manipulating them so as to get from them what we want. We put our money into this one and vote for that one and spend all our free time on the other one, expecting worldly benefits to be produced by human efforts, syncretism. We're blending the world's gods with the true God and wondering why darkness abounds. And in this context, it's in Gideon's family. And God is wanting Gideon to remove that, that greater redemption might come. Syncretism is dangerous, y'all. And I believe that a lot of us are caught up in it, myself included, without even realizing it. It is dangerous and deceptive, which is what makes it even more dangerous because they probably assume, no, 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 we are offering sacrifices just like the book of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy told us to do. They probably could have defended themselves as you see Israel do all throughout their history. But come on, y'all. We know this isn't true. I mean, imagine doing that with your spouse. If I blended one woman with Natalie and then wondered why she was tripping about that, how much more with the perfect God? And yet we do this often. So God wanted this to be removed from his family lineage. And each of us come from some families with some Baals and some Asherah mixed in in our altars as well that look like they were dedicated to God, but they probably weren't. And it's easy for us to judge our families and to see them as we're removed from our families, but we all drank from the same water, y'all. All of us have that. And so while we must be careful not to judge, we also must begin to reform so that true worship might be had. What is God calling you to reform in your family? What is it? 
Maybe they don't know God at all. And God wants you to share the goodness of the gospel with them. Maybe there are elements in the way that you're leading your biological family right now. You never pray, you never read the word, you're at church every once in a while, and then you think that light will abound. No, darkness will encroach, y'all. You ain't stronger. Sorry to tell you. We need the light of Christ. Maybe in your marriage or in your parenting, there are things you need to alter so that you don't accidentally build false gods. Maybe you don't have deep biological family, but you also don't have strong spiritual family so wish to help you nurture your faith either, and then you're lacking. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that the sour grapes of the father become the wine of the daughter, become the drunken mess for the grandkids in this world that bring darkness and death instead of truth and beauty and life. God not only wants to reform in here and out there, but in here as well, in your families, that you might be freed from Midianite oppression and sin, that you might be freed from Midianite worship, worshiping these false gods, that you might have a true and a greater joy. Now let me say a couple of things here, okay? Firstly, I want you to listen to me. Just because your family lineage is jacked up doesn't mean that you cannot be used by God to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. God wants to redeem everything, family of God, everything. Nothing is off limits for God's redemption. Not only does he want to redeem you and heal all the brokenness, not only does he want to use you to change this world, he wants to redeem everything, including your family. God might be saving you and drawing you to himself, not just so you can sing and know the goodness of God, yes, hallelujah, but so that your family might as well. You see, when I came to know Jesus, there were two Christians in my entire family. I'm talking like 30 people. Today, there is one non-Christian amongst all 30 of them. God works redemption. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, y'all, there was all sorts of abuse that I could name that, that would make us kind of our skin crawl that happened, and yet God was renewing anyway. So just because you might come from some messed up lineage doesn't mean that Christ can't redeem that. He wants to redeem everything, family of God. You may not come from beautiful gospel fruit, which is true for a lot of us, but if Jesus can turn water into wine, then he can also take the fruit of sinfulness above you and turn it into a harvest of righteousness below you. God wants to redeem because ultimately that's the very thing that this story points to anyway. You see, there was another man who came 1,200 years after Gideon who did something really similar to this. There was a lot of false worship happening in his family at the time. You know, Israel, the sons and daughters of God. And Jesus began to transform the towns. And people got angry as he desecrated their cultural gods. And a greater son, Jesus, would also be wanted at night. And a greater son, Jesus, would also hear the townspeople in the morning saying, Where is this man? Let us kill him. 
You see, as that son was flipping over tables or tearing down religious altars, they would eventually hang him up on one. Yet in this story, Joash, whose name means God has given, Joash would half protect his son, but the better father, the greater Joash, would not protect Jesus, his son. Instead, he would give his son that you and I might be protected. God has truly given. God has given. You see, the bull in this story, it was born that it might die. And the animal represented the God, the Baal at the time. And that animal was ready to be sacrificed. Likewise, another animal would be born, a lamb that was born to die. And at the perfect time when he was ready, the one that represented God truly and fully in his exact image and likeness, the scripture tells us, Christ died. And as Gideon took the very thing that was meant for evil, the wood, the Asherah, and made a sacrifice with it for good and turned it into an altar, something way greater. So the cross, the new Asherah, the new wood, the very thing that was meant for evil, God would take this false God and turn it into good. As the son gets crucified, you and I who believe, we get saved. God has given an even greater son. Jesus died that we may be delivered from a greater Midian, from worshiping false gods, to free us and our families from the family sin or even generational curses that are upon us by becoming accursed on a tree that you might receive the blessing of God. And just like God clothes Gideon with his spirit in verse 34 to do great things for the Lord, so through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has clothed us with the righteousness of his son and has given us the power of his spirit and clothed us to do great things for the Lord. The gospel has shown you true worship. No syncretism. The gospel has freed you and brought you into a greater family where we will dwell forever as brothers and sisters in Christ with a, a greater father, freeing you from the sins of your family and giving you the ability to rewrite a better story in your family. And then even when you jack up in your family and you're building false altars, a greater Gideon comes and rips them mugs down if we will but submit to him, our King Jesus. So that even when we're creating falsehood, truth might abound if we submit our lives to Christ. And so what is God calling you to do? Through his spirit, through his word, what altars is he telling you to tear down? Maybe it's ones that you're setting up in your family right now. Maybe it's ones that you've been living under without even really realizing it. How is God calling you to transform your family? Because God wants to push back darkness in here. And he wants to push back darkness out there, as we'll talk about next week. But he also wants to push back darkness around you so that that might transform the world. How are we going to play a part? I'll close our time with a kind of teaser for next week as well. You see, I love how this story is prepping us for this great, great story of God. You see, in verse 33, darkness was ready to come in and was ready to destroy again. And if you look at verse 33, it's almost identical to chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. They came in and they were ready to devour, but, but God. 
Gideon is now filled with the, filled with the Spirit of God now. And look what's happening. His family, y'all, his kinsmen, the Abezrites. Remember them? We talked about them last week. That's his family. They're now ready to go fight with him as well. And one of my prayers for us as a church is that we would have our families, our spiritual families, our biological families, joining us in different ways to push back darkness with us in our call. Next week, we'll look at Gideon's grand call. I would encourage you to read the rest of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7. We have a lot to cover. But I want us to think about this as we close. I love that Jesus is in this story in chapter 6, verse 11. And the Holy Spirit is in this story in chapter 6, verse 34. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned, like, in the Old Testament. It's kind of like, what y'all doing there? Right? Listen, when God calls you, all of God is with you. And whatever he calls you to do, whether it's simple pushing back darkness, whether it's scary pushing back darkness, whatever sacrifice, God is with you. Mighty man, mighty woman of valor, your God is with you. I pray you would feel his presence in your calling and whatever he's calling you to do, that you'd be faithful in this season of your life. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father God, I know um, that entering into something like this, our families, it can cause so much baggage that there's probably a lot of wounding or bitterness God, maybe for a few of us, there's some really beautiful gospel fruit. We know you are king because of our families. We rejoice at that, God, and pray you would make us like our parents in that way. God, that we would make disciples and that our children, that others would know you because of our sacrifice. But I also know there's a lot of woundedness. And I just pray right now for healing, God. I pray for family deliverance. That the sins of the father and the grandfather, the sins of the mother and the grandmother, that they would not become our sins as well. That we would create a new legacy. That we would push back darkness and have new gospel fruit. God, I pray for those in this room who may not have a relationship with you. They do not know you yet as the true God, as the better father. Friends, I want you to know you can have a relationship with God. the family that your heart longs for, God, the Father, invites you in. Jesus, the Son, desires to be your brother. The Holy Spirit, your advocate and your comfort, your friend that is with you. The gospel gives us not just freedom from our sin, not just freedom from darkness, it invites us into something beautiful. I pray you would know that beauty, that you would give your life to Christ, that you would follow him. And God, for those of us who have given our life to you, I pray that we would see that we now have family. Here, right here. 
as I'm weeping before I get up, thinking about some of the decisions that people have made that have impacted their family, I pray they would feel the fruit of this righteousness that will endure for generations, God. As I've seen people make sacrifices and, and lay down their life or, or invite people in, adopt or foster or bring them into their family that, that they might know family. As I see people making disciples and loving people and walking with people and laying down their life for their new family that they would feel healing and joy. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for family. God, I pray for every single one of these men and women I pray that they would feel the family of God, you, our Father, Christ, our brother, that they would feel this family of God, the saints of Christ, and that they would begin to create new legacies in their family. God, I pray for sons and daughters to baptize moms and dads here soon. I pray for mothers and fathers to baptize their children, to, to dedicate their children. I pray, God, for friendship to be had that is beautiful, that is worshipful, that looks so much like family. It's hard for the outsider to tell, wait, are you a part of this or not? I pray for beauty. God, I pray we would dive into your family. I pray that we would redeem our family. Would you teach us what you want us to do in our own lives and in our family's life as you prepare us to push back darkness in the world?